0: welcome to scaling the summit radio gold style your host charity brian and sandra k sims i am your technical director ginger aaron brush let's
1: get started welcome to another exciting episode of scaling the summit we are radio gold i'm charity brian and my co-host is sandra sims buddy how are you today Ooh, it is wonderful
0: here. It's a little cool, but it's sunny and it's beautiful. Now you're in the big
1: city today, I'm that in right? the big city. This is it. Well, let me tell you, this is, this is the first for the show. I am broadcasting live from the Physical Education Hall of Fame in Arley, Alabama. So uh, hopefully everybody can hear me okay. And uh, Buddy, I also have to make a note. This is the earliest... Show we've ever done, meaning the earliest in the morning we've ever done a show. And you know, I am not, I don't speak in full sentences before like 10 a.m., so we'll see what happens.
0: But this could end up being the way we should go because
1: early mornings are awesome. I love them. So we might have to balance this. Okay, buddy, I'm glad you love them, but we're going to move on because I don't even want to think about that right now. So Hey, listen, aren't you so excited that today we have our dear friend and very special guest, Lynn Johnson. from uh, Lynn, you're from the Great White North. We've seen the pictures of the snow. How are you today?
2: I'm great. How are you? It's a balmy well, 30 degrees. It's a warm day, and we're good. Okay. okay. Wait, wait, warm, wait, 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 warm,
0: wait, wait, it. wait, wait. Did she say balmy 30?
1: I think okay. so, buddy.
0: I believe that would put us in a major winter storm here in Alabama. So, balmy 30 doesn't make sense down here.
1: It, it does not at all. But we've seen the pictures, and it is beautiful from their recent snowstorm. So, hey, buddy, I, I want our 17 listeners to, to know all about Lynn. She, again, is one of our dear friends, but an incredible professional. Uh, she's currently Professor in Health and Human Performance at Plymouth State in Plymouth, New Hampshire. She teaches courses in health uh, health education and physical education teacher certification, so she's a pedagogy person like us. Prior to teaching at Plymouth, she was an assistant professor in physical education at the University of Vermont. She was the assistant softball coach at the University of Vermont. She also taught and coached softball at Springfield College and spent several years teaching K-12 physical education uh, in Vermont, also a very cold and snowy place, I believe. <clears throat> and Lynn is past president. This is buddy, this is probably how we know Lynn best. She's past president of the Eastern District Association uh, of, of Aford. And she's also a past president of Vermont Aford and has served on a boo coodles of Eastern District and Aford committees. And we're gonna hear more about that today. She's been a district representative on the board of governors of Aford She received the 2012 Honor Award from AFERD, which is a a very high honor. Mm -hmm. The Presidential Medallion she received in 2012 from the Eastern District Association. She's also received the Honor Award from Eastern District. The Outstanding Professional in Physical Education uh, Award from Eastern District. The Presidential Medallion, again, from, wow, buddy, that's two. Two Presidential Medallions. We need to ask about that and Higher Education Teacher of the Year Award from the Vermont Association for Health, Physical Education, Recreation, and Dance. Buddy, I've got to take a break. That's a lot of accolades. You know, Lynn, this is this is a big list. Uh,
0: but I, I, I do sense that you're, you're staying up north. So Vermont, New Hampshire, we're, we're in that area. You've done all these great things. You know, my first question right out of the gate, truthfully, is how did you – well, I'm, I'm, I, I don't, I'm assuming you just you were born and raised in in the north. But how did you also get involved with so many of your professional organizations, you were involved in the, the ones in Vermont, New Hampshire, you're involved in a lot of things in that area. Can you kind of give us kind of a little background, because all those are just bullets. So we'd love to know more about your professional uh, service.
2: Well, here's a little secret. I actually was not born and raised in the North. I was no. oh. born and raised in New Jersey. Okay. Is that that's off the north? north? Okay, wait. wait. <laughs> wait. wait. <laughs> I'm so confused. But wait,
0: wait. Well, I'm not good at geography,
2: but... I... That's okay. not the North. That's, oh. that's, that's next to New York City. 50 oh, so miles where, out of New where York is that? City. It, huh? Okay. The, na- the name of the a- town oh. is Whippany. It's a big town. Well known. Not really. But you, but anyway. I'm
0: sorry. I'm just thinking anything about Tennessee
2: it, North is right. It? Yeah. Well, if you live in New <laughs> like Jersey, Virginia. you know, you're Vermont's still North, but anyway. Okay. okay I'm sorry. I, so, I will, I'll I, tell you really quickly off. how I got there. I went to college at Springfield college in Massachusetts. I student taught in Vermont, fell in love with it. And then ended up um, a couple years later getting a job up there and that was it. Um, but how I got involved, I was involved as a student a little bit um, as we all were at different levels and then um, when I first started teaching in Vermont I got involved with a couple small committees but not really much. Then I went and taught at Springfield College and when I came back, um, a very dear friend of mine who uh, was a president of Vermont at the time, we were taking a class together and his name is Mike Interlandy. I don't know if any of you remember him but great guy he said hey um we need someone to serve as the vp for pe on the state board and i'm like sure whatever that sounds great so within a month i was running for president of because they wow. didn't have anybody to run for the for president elect of vermont and then i went from being a vp for about a month to hey you want to run for president so i did and that's sort of the the story but um as you know back then, which was in the 90s, the districts were really, really active. And uh, we had, in Eastern District, we had different committees, um, councils, councils of convention and council of of, uh, service. And um, I got involved with the council for conventions early on. And that's really where I um, got a lot of my experience and um, worked in Vermont's uh had eastern district i don't know if either of you went to that conference it snowed in surprisingly but um it was a great conference so i did a lot of that was involved in the planning and that's really where you know just that involvement with the state and then that really strong connection that we had with the districts at the time that we just just kind of started to steamroll um and got more and more involved with different things so It's not really flashy or fancy. That's just sort of how it happened. Somebody tapped me on the shoulder, and I said, sure, why not? And then it went on from there. But, you know,
0: Lynn, we're finding out through a lot of the interviews is that this is what's kind of been a pattern, is that there's been somebody that has tapped somebody Somebody just said, hey, what do you think? You know, why won't you try this? You know, like for me, I was just a physical education teacher. Somebody just said, hey, why don't you come be secretary? at I so it's that little – I don't know. Push uh, mm-hmm. encouragement, but but I will say there is a little flash in this thing when you say you were VP for physical education like a month, and then they said that she's got to go. She's got to get up to the top. She's got to be our leader. <laughs> I, I think that that says a lot. So I, I don't just see a flash. I see you know sirens going off. Uh, that's that's pretty impressive,
1: buddy. I would call that a meteoric rise to the oh, top. You? <laughs> I mean, you know, right? Yeah. And, uh, hey, I I think, you know, Buddy, like you were saying, we've got a couple of themes going on this show, whether our guests mean for it to be a theme or not. But, you know, number one is moms, right? So we're we're big on moms here. But number two is how many people have told us, hey, well, I was involved at the undergraduate level as a student. You know, I, and I think the thing we probably a lot of us share is you kind of didn't have a choice. You were probably voluntold that you would become a member or become involved but I really think that's where so many of us kind of got our start. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Lynn, that's, that's really cool. And, and I know it only took you 30 days to get to the uh, top of Vermont Aford. I'm not <laughs> the, the least bit surprised, but, but would you tell us a little bit about how that sort of experience led you then to Eastern district and ultimately um, the board of governors at Aford, which I think, you know, like we were saying earlier, is probably where we got to know you the best was during, during those years.
2: Well, um, as I was saying, we had, um, the Eastern district had these councils and, um, every state had two representatives to each or one representative to each of the councils. So after my term as president was done, um, and during that time, you know, we were, uh, delegates to the rep assembly at Aford as, as president, at least in our state we were. And, and then, um, after i ended my presidency i um volunteered to be the rep to the eastern Bo- uh, district board uh, councils so i got involved with that um and and um you know as you well know the connections we make we made through the districts um are lifelong and um you know so the number of people that we saw year after year in those councils and just the the um, connections that we made was, I think it was life altering and professionally altering for me. There's no question about that. I, I've always said that I don't think I would have ended up in higher ed had it not been for my involvement in the district, um, because I think it it helped me grow professionally in so many different ways, um, gave me more confidence, um, and um, made me think about different things that I could do. So I I have always said that I'd probably still be, and it wouldn't have been a bad place. Um, I, my first real job was in a little town in Vermont called Proctor, Vermont. Um, I probably still be there cause I loved, it. I loved teaching there. It was awesome. I loved the town. I loved, uh, you know, it was just a great environment, but I probably would still be there. And, um, I think that that involvement drove me to look for different things. And, um, so anyway, that involvement on the councils over the years um, led me to run for president of Eastern District. Um, and then after that, I made the decision to run for the Board of Governors. Well, not run for the, yeah, run for the Board of Governors, which is was elected by the districts at that time. And then it transitioned to Board of Director, but I didn't ever run, a, you know, the national uh, route for that. That was just a transition. So. Um, And as you well know, those were very interesting times um, while I was president of Eastern District and um, was on the Board of Governors. So, you know, those are things that helped me grow, too, in in ways that I may or may not have chosen to. But (laughs) they they were uh, um, eye-opening times. And, uh, you know, but regardless of all the things that went on, um, I don't think I'd trade it because I... um, developed rich friendships that um, you know and i 'm looking at two of you right now that you know I would never have had those that friendship or those connections with so many people across the country, mostly you know Southern district and Eastern district were so close that um, you know just having that those kind of professional friendships and, and relationships were is you know I, I, I couldn't i couldn't ask for anything Better to have come out of that um, the organizational piece that happened that maybe I would have asked for something different, but the friendships and the connections are really um, really valuable to me
0: you know i 'd love to have a follow up um, question on this vermont so I'm, I'm interested you said Proctor so tell me i I'm, do you mind sharing a little bit of a window about Proctor of uh, Vermont and tell us what you were teaching there what was what was what was exciting about because you said you were there and then with then the path took you on to other things so what tell me what you were teaching in vermont real quick and just kind of i'm interested in that because you said because honestly some of us do get captured in a place and it takes something i don't know either someone or something that kind of pushes us out of a very good comfortable uh, wonderful
2: setting so i'd love to hear more about that all right so proctor vermont is. Um in central Vermont, it's about uh, maybe 15 miles from Killington. If you know that ski area, it's uh, one of the bigger ski areas in the country. Okay. Anyway, it's in central Vermont. It's a little tiny town. It's a marble town. So in Vermont, mm-hmm. there's a lot of marble quarries. So uh, the town of Proctor is um, has marble sidewalks, marble high school, marble bridge. Yeah, but you don't want to run in the winter on the marble sidewalks. I'm going to that right now. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it, I was there for six years. It was wonderful. Um, I cu- I taught K-12 PE. Oh, wow. Uh, in two schools. Uh, so Monday, uh, I don't know. I, it, we alternated. There was another guy there. So like Monday, Wednesday, I'd be at the elementary, Tuesday, Thursday, I'd be at the high school and Friday, we'd both be at the high school. Um, and then I coached primarily field hockey and softball. And uh, it was great. It was a great little life. And then I it was taking grad courses and decided that I was going to get my, my master's. And I, uh, I was taking a lot of courses at Castleton. Now it's Castleton University, but back then it was Castleton State, so a, little, a little school not far from Proctor, actually. And um, I had an opportunity to go to Springfield for a semester and finish up my master's there. So I made that decision. I, I got a, an assistantship. I got a sabbatical from my school and, um, and I went. And then once I completed that semester, the, the current coach of softball at Springfield decided to retire. So that job opened gotcha. and I made the decision to apply for that job and got it. And then um, paid back my sabbatical, which was fun. Um, because, you know, as you know, and sabbaticals are odd in a high school setting, but they had a Proctor, um, had a fund, this, this, the person that the town was named after had put aside a fund for educators. So you could mm-hmm. tap into that fund. Anyway, I paid back the sabbatical and I, um, started teaching and coaching in Springfield. And that's really that, that was that nudge nice. that, that it. It probably would not have made that decision had that, that job not opened. Right. Um, cause I hadn't really thought about teaching at higher ed. And then, um, I taught there for a number of years and then, well, actually not a number. I taught there for four years and I really loved teaching there, loved it. Um, but I didn't like living there at all. Um, mm-hmm. and, uh, the real nudge <laughs> that got me back to Vermont was our, um, An unfortunate incident occurred with a student that um, he was murdered in downtown Springfield. And he was our number one student. And it was just, it was something that made me just, I didn't want to live there anymore. It was that kind of thing. And I felt, and I was going to Vermont every weekend. Every time I had a chance, I was going back up to Vermont. So I made the decision that even though professionally I loved what I was doing, I just personally didn't like living there anymore. So Moved back to Vermont, taught in the public schools for another maybe six years, and then um, made the decision to to get my doctorate up at UVM, and then I ended up getting a job there, coaching there a little bit, and um, and then eventually ended up coming over. To, Fifteen years ago, came to Plymouth. So, that's my story.
0: Oh, I love it. See, that was nice because it was a, it was a nice way to show all the bullets that uh, we that Charity said at the very beginning. It kind of attached every, I kind of connected all the dots. So thank you for that. And I, you know, there's something about us starting in public school uh, and, and coaching and, you know, coaching at, and I, I'll be honest, those are pieces that I really still miss the coaching. There's a part, I don't miss washing the uniforms or driving the bus, but you know, there's something about that coaching and that high school setting that's special. So I appreciate that. I appreciate your journey that you've taken to where you are today. All right. What we're going to do is.
1: Oh, go. Can I jump in and go off script real quick? Because now I want to ask Lynn. So, you know, Lynn, (laughs) most of our guests, if not all, um, you know, we kind of have sort of a similar path maybe to where we were. But I think for most of us, it it started with being an athlete in our our youth, right? Being a young person involved in sports and athletics. And, you know, I don't know if you knew this, but Sandra early on uh, was into, (sighs) buddy, was it TAP? I think you, you did TAP. Uh, you know, you know you I think that that's kind of funny. That, you, Lynn, she always has I'm to bring I'm trying to describe your athletic journey to, from, from TAP to Volleyball All-American, and there's obviously a huge gap between those two things. But, so Lynn, <laughs> will you tell us a little bit about uh, – I mean, I assume you were an athlete as a kid. I think you played softball. So, you know, what, how, did that, how did that love of athletics – I mean, I'm sure it took you to coaching and made it attractive, but, you know, what did you play as a kid or in high school and you know, did that love of athletics kind of take you into your career? Is that is that how you got into it? Um, well, I, I think
2: well, I'm gonna start with the fact that I'm a I'm a pre title nine baby. So um I didn't have the opportunities that many folks did. Um but yes, I played sports from the time I can remember, like that was all I wanted to do, and, and softball really was my first love, um, even as a little kid. Um, I don't know how it evolved, but it did, um, but I couldn't play Little League. I couldn't play. There weren't any opportunities, really, for me to do a lot um, in an organized fashion until I got to high school, although we did have a um, here, I'll, I'll give you a story that I don't tell many things. I, my, one of my cousins was a baton twirler and gave me a baton at some point. And yes. um, when I was in junior high, that was like the only organized thing they had. They had volleyball, and we played a few games, intramurals, but that was it. So I started to learn how to do the baton. And then, um, you know, I was practicing and everything, and then they told us, um, okay, we're going to do a thing, and these are the uniforms. I took one look at the uniforms, <laughs> out the door. <laughs> uh,
1: this is not for me. Baton is not in my future.
2: Yeah, Got and it. then uh, I did play the violin. Wow. That's a little bit of trivia. Um, and, well, I shouldn't say I played it. I had a violin and I used <laughs> the thing to go back and forth. My brother wouldn't let me practice because it was so bad. And uh, so when I got to high school, I had to choose between sports or the violin. So you can... Not imagine. a
1: difficult choice, I'm sure. So yeah,
2: my brother Yeah, my brother is in college by that point, but he probably would have voted for that too. But um, anyway, in in high school, I played uh, field hockey, basketball, and my... F- Freshman year I did track because of course girls could only have one sport a semester or a time. So at the time they had track and field. Um so I threw the shot, did the discus, um softball throw, which was an event back then. And then uh, my sophomore year they um with a lot of push from the from the girls we got a softball team. And so then I we we played softball. We had to buy our own uniforms, buy our own bats. Um, uh, no backstop on our, we had a field that was grass and we threw bases down and no backstop. So a little bit different. Title line passed between my junior and senior year. And I have to give my high school a lot of credit. They, they made the adjustment really quickly. All of a sudden we had uniforms. All of a sudden we had our locker rooms. The year after I graduated, they upgraded all the locker rooms. Um, You know, they put a training room in the girls locker room because the boys locker room had one and uh, and then we also went from single gender PE classes to co-ed PE, PE classes my senior year. Never had more fun because I could actually play. Um, but anyway, so yes, I played all those sports. And then I I played softball in college. So, and had amazing experiences. We went to Holland. Uh, we went to the world, uh, the uh, the uh, softball world, with, not world, uh, College, college championship. What's that called? The uh, not the World Series.
0: <laughs> the, World yeah, Series. the
2: World Series. Yeah. yeah, but it was before NCAA, so it was the nice. AIW World Series, which meant that there were no divisions. That's right. So we ended up my senior year. We ended up going. <laughs> we played some school in Texas that was like 65 and two, and we were 20 and 20 and I don't know. I we may have played 20 games, so. We were out in two and we couldn't get home because there was uh, uh, tornado warnings the whole time. So we couldn't get a flight home. So we ended up out in Omaha for, for about a, a week. We got home just in time to graduate. Wow. So, That's so, yeah, so cool. I mean, I had really wonderful experiences um, in terms of that. And, uh, and then uh, I played slow pitch softball up until I was in my, let's see, I broke my wrist. 10, 12 years ago, so about 10, 12 years ago, I went to play an alumni game in Springfield and broke my wrist, and that was it for my career. Oh, wow.
0: <laughs> you know, this is a, it, it's amazing to me when we do these podcasts, we think we know people, and we always catch gems like the baton twirling. I don't know that I would have ever known. Yeah, but known you got to keep that. I mean, I know the okay, no. people that watch this will hear it, but. Well, it's kind of like tap dance. I mean, it's <laughs> like my friend likes to talk about my tap dance. Uh, but honestly, you know, those are the, those are the great nuggets that we get to get out of besides just seeing everybody here, it, hearing you again. But you know, the, the question I want to go to is really, it's, it's about the past, but it's interesting that you brought up, um, cause I want to ask you a question about where, how you feel like the profession, um, has during your career, what, what have you seen and if it changes, but just in athletics, we've already seen so much cause I was I played AIW and i Uh, we've talked about this on other podcasts but i hope that this the young ladies today realize just how much um things have changed and i I hope that they can relish the history and all the people who worked so hard to get title IX uh, passed and even though we're you know we're well into this thing it should be things should be much better than they are but there are great things that are happening but i will tell you i loved aiaw because my little small college could go up against any, any large college and we would be side by side and we'd be able to play. And that's not heard of anymore because they just, anyway, those are the great things. But I'm gonna go ahead and move to this past question. So what do you think, uh, even though I know athletics has changed, what about a profession? And if you wanna include athletics, you can, but I was really just, what changes have you noticed during this, this career span that you've had uh, about our profession? And what changes have you seen positive or negative or both. It doesn't matter. But what, what have you seen occur and where we are today?
2: Well, to be honest with you in the K-12 world, I haven't seen enough to be honest with you. Correct. You know, I I was thinking about this a little bit and um, I was going to go back and look at the titles of my presentations over the years. And um, I've been doing presentations on assessment for, probably close to 25 years, if not mo- longer. And I swear I could take a, a, a presentation I did 25 years ago and do it today. And it still would have relevance for some people. And that to me is, that's sad to me. I mean, I, I, I get very frustrated because people are still in a place where we were 25 years ago. And, and when we all know, especially those as, of us in pedagogy, we know they were taught differently. You know, we know that they were taught about standards and assessments and the importance of having a, a, a progressive lesson that actually teaches concepts and skills and, and behaviors. I mean, we know all that, and we know they know that, but then they just revert back to the roll-out-the-ball and play one activity after another with no real, real sense of of learning. So that part is frustrating to me. I think that, you know, some of the movements in states, et cetera, to go to, uh, you know, really pushing for standard-based or competency-based or proficiency-based, whatever they want to call it. I mean, I think that's important and the, and the push is good, but we're still in a place that we need those folks in administration or at the state level or that are really advocates for quality programs. And don't let bad teachers stay. Um, you know, I, I was really happy, which is kind of a strange thing. One of our um, a young professional a couple uh, a couple years ago was hired in a school and was actually fired after the probation period because the person didn't teach, and the administrator actually held them accountable for not teaching. Wow! And I, you know, it, it's a sad story for the the young professional but it's a good story for our profession that there's, you know, some administrators out there that are actually holding physical educators to the same standards that they would hold a math teacher and English teacher. If you're not teaching and holding students accountable for learning, then you shouldn't be there. And, um, I, I, really hope that that is more prevalent than it is. Um, and I've always, I, we have a superintendent's, uh, master's program or a certification program in our university, and I keep saying, I, I want to go talk to them. I want to s- talk to them about holding teachers accountable. Don't let physical educators roll out the ball every day, not assess, not hold their students accountable. Don't make that okay, because it's not. Um, and, and, you know, there are some great young professionals out there. Don't get me wrong. And I think they try to do the best they can, but it, it's hard when they don't get the support from that level. You know, I was really fortunate. I had, when I first started in Proctor, I had two principals that um, wanted me to be able to do what I I thought was right and really supported that and believed that it was important for us to have a quality program and do the things that we should do. Even though I worked with somebody who would be very happy to roll out the ball. So I I was allowed to do what I could do. I could do. Um, And I think it was, Beneficial to me that we taught alternate days because we weren't together all the time, because I didn't fall into that. I'm going to do what he does, right. even though he was the. This is the story. When I get to the elementary school, the, the custodian would say to me, "Oh, Lynn, it's your day. I'll take the chair out of the gym."
1: Oh wow! Oh man!
2: Right? So Ugh. that you know that's who. I, but there are so many. This young professional I was talking about, he sat on the bleachers uh, on the uh, stage actually during his classes that's what he did you know and and he doesn't deserve to stay there and so you know i i am heartened by the number of young professionals that come to our state conference and go to you know try to learn the right the right way to do things but if they don't get the support to get it done it becomes frustrating to them and they give up so um I don't know. I'm kind of going off on a on a tangent here. No, but.
0: and this this is I, I think this is an important piece. But I want you to know it's not just in, up north, It's everywhere. Okay. I mean, this is this is a it is prevalent, and it's sad. I mean, we have, you know, Ginger Erin Brush, our wonderful producer of the show, is an <laughs> exceptional teacher, uh, and it's not because she has to be. It's not because she's held accountable. It's because she looks at the person in the mirror and says she wants the best for her students, mm-hmm. and I think that somewhere it's like. You know, we we get kids and I know we've graduated students, but I'm going, All right, you do know better. You know better. But it's as it's not like it may be the administrators are not being supported, but I almost think their pattern of what they learned and they saw before uh, trumps anything. Any it just it, it almost like it puts something anything over it covers up everything that we covered in the three or four years that they're your undergrad. So anyway,
2: no, that's what the research shows. It, it, you know, they're going to revert back to how they that were pattern. Today. Yep.
0: Well, I appreciate that, but thank you for that. Uh, and I really wish, honestly, I do, I do have hope that we're going to be able to do something about that. So, uh, but I, I do think that it is an issue that, that we've seen and patterned across the country.
1: And Lynn, I know our 22 listeners completely agree with and support the, the need to, um, you know, have, have programs that are, that, are, that are better and that are accountable. And uh, we certainly all agree agree on that. So shifting gears just a little bit, you know, it's been a tough year for everybody, really. Um, and I think it's been a tough year regardless of what, you know, profession you're in or, or where you're even geographically located. But could you tell us a little bit about how the schools in Vermont have been handling the COVID-19 protocols or specifically, you know, including your university. I mean, what I know, we're we're kind of in a you know, half the students come on Monday and half the students come on Wednesday to class, and we're having to do virtual on those days where you're not coming to class. So, what's it been like for you guys in Vermont?
2: Well, I'm going to shift gears to New Hampshire, and then we'll uh, then we'll. Sorry.
1: <laughs> hey, remember when we said we were bad at geography? Like. If you get above Virginia, we're just confused. So it's
2: just, a, yeah, I'm sorry. Here's a funny story though, going back to that. When, we, when I used to play slow pitch softball, we travel all over the country, including you know Alabama and Georgia and all over the place. And we were out somewhere and uh, we were from Vermont. I was teaching and playing in Vermont and somebody came up to us and say, so what state is that in?
1: <laughs> i think we're not that bad i hope we're not that bad but but and I, then get somebody,
2: it. I do i do somebody was trying to make a phone call to vermont and it was on the phone with an operator and the operator said they said um you know where's she said well where's vermont and the op and the woman's like it's in new england oh it's an international call then <laughs> <laughs> <That's> great <laughs> So anyway, oh, man not alone yeah anyway, sorry about actually, that Okay, so let me talk about the I'm university. writing that
1: down. New, yeah, okay, uh,
2: let me talk about the university first and then I'll I'll go to um I'll go to uh the schools. So, uh Plymouth State, we we are part of the uh USNH which is the University System of New Hampshire. And there's four universities a part of that. Um, U- university of New Hampshire, Keene State University, and then a Granite State College which is uh, mostly online um, but we were there the Board of Trustees wanted us to be somewhat similar but it depended on the, the caseload that occurred within our state so we we um, made the decision to go face to face because our students are mostly they really wanted face-to-face it was they look worked with the students but then they also um, We got some COVID money that they outfitted almost seventy percent of our classrooms, um, in uh, with Zoom capabilities. So it's they're great little systems. We have uh, TV in the back, mics. So and it's all embedded, so you don't really have to do anything. Uh, The video is already uh, there. There, everything can be recorded. You can interact with the students who are not there and the students that are there. So it's, it's purely interactive. Um, So, and then they reduce the capacity for all the classrooms to about 50%. So if you had a class that was larger than, and most of our classrooms are small. So we had ended up with maybe four whole classrooms in the whole university that could take uh, more than 20 students. So every classroom, uh, every class, basically, even if they were, Not online became a hybrid. So some, you know, some kids would be on zoom. Some kids would be face to face teachers in the beginning um, would flip flop like Tuesday, you're in the classroom. Or you're on zoom and then Thursday you flip Um, But what was happening as the semester went on is the kids were recognizing if they could just roll out of bed and turn on the Zoom, it was much easier than having to walk actually across campus to go to class. So um, that didn't work out as quite as well as people had planned. In my case, I was pretty fortunate because I taught two activity classes. So pure face-to-face, masked. We all everything we had a mask mandate, everybody had to me mask six weeks we uh six feet apart. We had developed, I was a part of the opening task force that worked all summer, and we developed uh protocols for in-classroom masking, distancing, uh cleaning, all of that, and then for the specifically for activity courses. So, you know, we wiped every piece of equipment down in between every class. Um I actually bought pennies that were two-sided that I signed out to the kids because in the past I would take them home and wash them, but I didn't want to do that. So they had those, they had to wear masks. We did a lot of different things to keep us physically distanced. We had to have seating charts. Kids had to sit and assign seats. Uh, we had our own contact tracing uh, group on campus. We tested every week. Um, so we had really strict protocols. I, I will say we also had the advantage, our president um, at the university, his name is Don Burks, brother of Deborah Burks.
1: That's, that's a good person to have as a president. So yeah.
2: everything that we did, he checked with her in terms of protocols. So we had pretty good um, information about whether we were on the right track or not. Um, so we had the university, our university rented a hotel, an entire hotel for the semester. And so students who were either isolated or in quarantine uh, had the option of going home or going to the hotel and then they were fed. They were, you know, food was brought to them and all that kind of stuff. Um, Really good contact tracing. And um, So being tested every week was was good. I mean, we did have some cases. There's no question. We never we kind of started spiking a little bit towards Thanksgiving. Um, but we made the decision to shorten our semester. So we, we ended classes on the week before Thanksgiving, that Thursday, and then we had finals, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and then we were done. Um, and the kids went home because we didn't want them to go home and come back. We eliminated all vacation week. We had no long weekends. Um, and so we pretty much made it. I mean, I had, we had kids that had to Zoom in, we had, our iPads on a stand and I'd carry the kid around my activity class so he could, he or she could see what was going on or whatever we did. And um, we had about at one point, we had five kids in our Irene and I teach a, yes, we teach team teach an activity class. Can you imagine yin and yang? Which, and, uh, which, uh, which activity class? I have elementary activities. So okay. it's, it's all, all right. the activities you teach elementary. She does focuses on mostly the dance stuff. But um, anyway, we had about five kids in quarantine or isolation. So we had them on Zoom and they were creating their own dances and they had to create their dance as a group on Zoom and then perform it. Uh, So we did some of that, but so I was fortunate. And then my other class was a group of, I only had six students. It was a methods class. And um, so I didn't have to do Zoom. I really, I only did like two Zooms because my students were um, either quarantined or isolated. But other than that, I didn't have to deal with that, which I was really happy about. I, I, I'm much better face to face than I am. Um, last spring was really difficult to to try to figure out what to do with them. So, um, you know, I think we were, you know, at the beginning of the semester, teachers were really angry. They didn't want to come back to campus. They thought somebody was going to die. What we were going to do was all doom and gloom. But by the end, they were really recognized that a lot of things had been put into place to keep everybody safe. I think that the, um, the having being being tested every week really um, is really puts a, a sense of, of um, security on you that you know that for the right. most part you had to wear bands so if a student didn't have a band on they couldn't come to class and what and is was, the band what was that that for? was when they got tested so if they didn't okay. test they couldn't come to they their IDs would Uh-oh. get shut off. They wouldn't be allowed into buildings and they couldn't come to class.
1: Wow. wow. That's serious business, but yeah. So I mean, absolutely. It sounds like you were, you guys were, were way ahead of the curve on keeping people safe.
2: Yep. And then uh, we've just made the decision. We were, originally were st- supposed to start like the 18th of January, come back. And then we decided early on, we would eliminate spring break. We'd come back on the 25th. We just made the decision. We're going to, Uh, postpone to the first of February um, and just take one week out, condense the semester, sort of like what we did, but the spring is longer than the fall anyway. So um, it's not a big, big deal. So we just made that decision. um, And uh, so that's what we did at our university. UNH had a lot more cases than we did. Uh, They're down Southern part of the state right next to Massachusetts. So there's a lot of, um, you know back and forth between cities which made a difference. Most of our cases that we had related to students either going home bringing it back or somebody coming to visit and most of the cases were off-campus. So
1: well, yeah that that's really yeah important. you know it, it, it's funny when you think about it and of course the condensed semester was really the only kind of I think right right approach but, man, you take out all those little holidays we get, and you get to Thanksgiving and Christmas, and you're like, man, I am beat. Yeah. You know, because we, we had the same, same schedule, and you, you're kind of looking back going, man, we hadn't had a break at all. Right. You know, and nothing to kind of look forward to or say, okay, I'm going to catch my breath here. But,
2: yeah, we it had, sounds like you guys really have a great approach. We had, you had Veterans Day
1: had, at the state.
2: Um, and then in the spring, we've identified three mental health days.
1: That oh, they're very gonna- cool.
2: And um, the students actually at the last, um, our last faculty meeting sent a, a resolution that they wanted faculty to not make assignments during those days and not have something due the day after so students could actually take a break. And the faculty supported it like 100%. They were like, yeah,
1: awesome.
2: We all need that. So I think that's good. Now, as far as the public schools, every, we, New Hampshire's motto is live free or die. So basically, everybody <laughs> does their own thing. Don't oh, tread on me. Right? <laughs> yeah, live free or die and um so every school district did a little bit different. Some did the alternating days. One school district had all their kids in school, but they assigned I think it was pods of 10 kids. And so I would be assigned this pod of 10 kids and I would stay with them all day long. But they would be online with their teachers doing their online classes while we were in this room. So kids were with, and I think they must have been pre-recorded or you know asynchronous uh, online. Because and so every kid would be you're you were kind of like a, a study hall monitor, and you and they the teachers would work with these kids, but not really teach any specific class. You had to teach your classes beforehand. And so that if one student got sick in that pod, then those kids would be sent home, they would do the cleaning of that pod. So everybody stayed together. That's one school district. Other school districts did the, you know, some kids went on a two, Monday, Wednesday, some kids went on Tuesday, Thursday. If somebody got sick, they shut it down, cleaned out the school, uh, whatever. Most public schools did not do testing. And that was a big part with the teachers, really a concern. Um, so there's, there was a lot of different um, mechanisms that happened, and it all was local. Every, you know, every, It's very much local control, so every school made their own decision. Um, we, as a state, we have a Republican governor, um, and he resisted any kind of mask mandate until about maybe wow. a month a, month ago, and now we have a state ma- mask mandate. Although in Plymouth, the town of Plymouth, did a mask mandate, from the get-go because the university really pressed for that because we had one on campus and we wanted it to be the same uh, because our students have to walk through the town to get to other parts of campus. So um, they had a mask mandate from the, from the beginning, which I think was really good. Um, so, you know, I think that, you know, public school teacher, or, I'm sorry, parents who had kids in public schools that were our colleagues Like they're like, Oh, I have to teach geography today to my kids, or I have to teach geometry or I, you know, you know, all of that, just like everywhere else. So, but um, you know, the New Hampshire was pretty cases were pretty low. It's spiking just where everybody else is now. Um, So.
0: All right. Well, that is, that is amazing. And truthfully, when we look at the past and the present and we start looking at the future, you know, when we look at how our future professionals, um, that the students that are sitting in your methods classes, you know. Never before had I ever talked about how to lysol or disinfect equipment between classes. I mean, that was not on our syllabus for methods classes. And it's amazing that um, the changes that we saw in March and how we were caught really off guard. And those students that were student teaching were really just like the teachers. Everybody was hit at the same time. That no one was really prepared for this, but I do believe that the future professionals. Just like the teachers now feel much more secure in what they're doing. So at, I guess as i move to the future question, you know, what Are you, I'm assuming that you're teaching things a little bit that you still you're teaching your methods classes, but you're preparing those three professionals to teach in any kind of setting. Now, uh, what would be your, what would be an advice, a piece of advice that you would give or that maybe you give to your students about
2: the future of physical education? Well, I think that, um, I think what we talk a lot about is that um, probably more than ever, the importance of people understanding how to stay active, the importance of being physically active, how to self-regulate that, um is are really important uh concepts for kids to understand so that when you are in an environment like we're in that you can make those decisions and you can recognize it's important and you don't only have to be in pe class to be active um i think that you know in terms of what we teach i think that's really critically important i think um you know as you both know i've i've taught our students the importance of being able to use technology um, for a long time, but in different ways than what we think about now. Um, Fortunately, last semester, uh, excuse me, last spring, when our students were out student teaching, um, Irene really pushed for them to stay in the student teaching environment and take over the the, uh, distance learning, virtual learning piece. So all of our student teachers that were out last semester or last spring, all taught all of their classes um, by Zoom or whatever mechanism that particular school. So they, have that, uh, they had that experience. And when they went for jobs, they were like snapped up because they could all be that flexible and knew what to do. And I think that's important for what we teach our students now is knowing how to use the technology to do virtual lessons and what the examples, you know, what are examples of things that kids can do at home um, I had a, I taught an activity class last spring and I, it was lifetime leisure. So they had to, the students had to make projects, creative projects to mimic like cornhole or golf with the equipment that, with stuff they have at home, like, so that they could expect that of their students, that they could make things from just what they have at home. They didn't have to have a golf club, but they could still do some things relative to golf or whatever. So, you know, making kids think out of the box a little, I think is really critically important, but also obviously understanding the technology to do that and and ways in which you can use those technologies. Um, So what we did, which, and we kind of ran out of time, but we, um, Irene taught secondary methods this semester and I taught elementary methods. And because we couldn't get in the schools, our kids can't get into the schools. And I don't know if you're facing that too, but, we needed them to teach. So they peer taught each other. We were in the gym almost every single day and um, they analyzed their teaching. They probably got more teaching than they ever get because when they're at the schools, they don't always get all the teaching you want, but they taught. And one of the lessons we were gonna have them do is teach each other by Zoom, but we kind of ran out of time at the end. But we did have one student who took um, Irene's class virtually. He didn't feel safe coming back to campus. So he had to teach the kids in the gym via zoom, which was a great experience for him. I mean that people helped him set up and did those kinds of things, but he was on zoom and he had to teach, um, virtually to a class that was live. Um, so there's a lot of those things that we can do to make those kinds of, uh, experiences, um, more natural. And so that we can pivot when we need to, um, hopefully that we don't need to, but, you know, I think even at our university, our board of trustees said, "Well, we should be doing more things online. Why do we need to be in person?" Well, we need to be in person because our students really want to be in person. Right. Even if they prefer to roll out of bed and get on Zoom, they want to be on campus. So, they um, they want that they want those that people-to-people connection. Right. That's really important. So, um, but I think just giving them the understanding the importance of students knowing how to be physically active and why it's important, and also understanding the technology so that they can, you know, seamlessly continue to teach if for any reason they have to go uh, virtual.
1: Perfect. Yeah, Lynn, you guys have a great approach, and, you know, none of us anticipated this, but the way in which people, I think, are kind of just, all right, what do we need to do today? How do we need to to roll so that our students still have a good experience and get what they need has, has been the question we have to answer first thing every morning of every single day for the last two semesters. So, all right, I'm going to switch back uh, to your career, Len, and just ask you a couple of career-related questions. The first of which is, what good advice were you given early on in your career, and who gave you that advice?
2: That's a good question. Um, I think, um, I can't really think of any specific advice other than learning um, the importance of being a good professional um, and uh, being professional in everything you do. Um, And as a physical educator, sometimes we have to be even more professional and um, carry ourselves in a different way than the expectations of other teachers because, um, and that we, You know, if we don't treat what we do as important and as a profession, then others won't either. And I think that comes from um, certainly two of my professors at Springfield, um, Diane Potter, who was also my softball coach, and Dottie Zanotti, who was, um, is uh, an incredible professional. She was the field hockey coach at Springfield, but just really, she was somebody that really, that whole idea of professionalism was so critical to her. And I, and I, I think I ca- I've carried that with me that and we talk about that with our students all the time, that, you know, how you present yourself, how you dress, even though that sometimes seems like an old-school thing, it makes a huge difference how you're perceived in um, the concept of, you know, uh, you, you can never change a first impression, and that thinking about how you present yourself. Even to us, even as professors, you know, um, is really important in in as you move forward professionally. So I guess that's I, the, the best I got.
0: And that's a great. Uh, and I appreciate you already naming some people because really that goes into my question that we ask every every guest because it is time to almost say thank you to some people that have influenced you and really kind of gave you that nudge or helped you see the light uh, toward your career. So we typically ask you to name, you know, name some people that have been that, you know, those big marker uh, that have encouraged you. So do you want to, I know you've already named two. Is are there any? Are there? Is there anybody in your past that you want to name now as, as influencing you uh, into the successful career you've had?
2: Well, I think um, initially probably my high school PE teachers and coaches. I mean, I think those folks are um, really – the people that get you going where you're where you're going. Um, one, her name is is Nan Jordan, who was my field hockey coach, and really somebody I think that kind of nudged me along this path. And then, um, uh, forgetting her first name, her last name is Whitehead, which was my ended up being my softball coach. And I think that those are people that really made that um, kind of drove me in that direction. And I think later on in my career, Bev Nichols from from UVM uh, was certainly someone that um, I have a lot of respect for, and and uh, helped me a lot when I was um, start as a as a grad student at UVM, and then and then later on. But um, th- those are probably the folks. But I would say that probably Diane and Dottie were the two most significant because they were there in that foundational part, and then. I'm just so fortunate because Diane actually retired to New Hampshire um, and she lives about 30 minutes from me. So I I get to stay really connected with her and and that's important um, for me. She's just an important part of my life, yeah. Perfect. Uh, Very cool. You met Diane. We were sitting down at a a convention. Yeah, the last convention um, in Florida, in Tampa
1: and she came okay, over. Okay, cool. Awesome. Yeah, so. Awesome, yeah. Oh, that's great to make that connection. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. All right, Lynn, so what is uh, one common myth about our field that if you had a, a microphone for a day, you'd want to debunk? Um,
2: that were dumb jocks, I think is probably the <laughs> biggest myth. Um, Well, between that or that, you know, it's really not an important area. I think those are the two things. One is more personal towards the folks, you know. I don't know if you've ever been asked this question, but I have used to be asked all the time. I mean, you went to college to do this. (laughs) So, (laughs) yeah, Yeah. even worse than that, I got a doctorate in it. So, um, you know, I think those are things. And that's our own fault, personally. I mean, I I really honestly believe that's our own fault. I, I had a conversation with a principal one time, and he said to me, we were t- he's, he was principal of a school that great program, great teachers, very supportive. And we were talking about programs being cut, and he just looked at me and he said, "You know, the only people you can blame if your program is cut is you, because if you are not the person that's advocating and you're not providing a quality program, then why do you keep? You know, you don't deserve to have a program." That's and a so, smart
0: administrator.
2: Yeah, that's, he, that's he was awesome. Great. But he had really strong advocate physical educators that weren't going to let him do stuff, but it was a quality, quality program. So, you know, I think that 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 myth that, you know, to some degree, it's a myth, but on other occasions, it's not so much of a myth. And that's part of the problem. But the fact that, you know, going back to that professionalism piece, sometimes, again, you know, you wear your gray sweats and your whistle around your neck, you know, it doesn't portray that you are actually a teacher, you know, and, and I think that that's the piece that just drives me nuts. So I agree.
0: All right. I can't even imagine that I'm asking this question because I can't imagine you in any other profession than this profession, but if you had to choose, this one usually surprises our group, uh, every, every time we ask the question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. If you had, a, if you had to, could choose any other profession, what would it have been?
2: I wanted to be a teacher from the time I was a little kid. So it it just, you know, I played school like everybody did, but it, you know, and as I grew up, it was whoever that my favorite teacher was. So when my favorite teacher was the math teacher, I'd be a math teacher or a history teacher or whatever. But, you know, ultimately it, I, I can't imagine being in anything else. And when people, you know, I, I can remember teaching in one of my public schools and we had a, uh, a swimming pool, just at Rex, uh, the town's pool was next door. And we made an arrangement for them to open it up for us in the spring. And so through all of May and all of June, as long as it's 50 degrees or warmer, we would be swimming.
1: And oh my God. Um, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> 50. buddy, we 50. would be breathing.
0: F- 50. <laughs> okay. I wow. Can, you. can I just say this? I won't go ahead and get this out there. People up north are tougher, women and men, than we have here. Because I just wanted it 50 degrees in the water. Was
2: exaggerating a little it's bit. A, okay, was I was going to say it's a little nippy.
0: nippy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I would be out by the pool the whole time, and I'd come in, and my, I, uh, you know, I'd put shorts on and t- and whatever. And everybody's like, "You're getting so 10. That's not fair." And I just, my answer to them is, "We all make our choices in life." And <laughs> there you go. I, <laughs> I, uh, I don't think I would want to do anything else than what I did. Um,
0: and I, That's a great answer. It is good answer.
1: Hey, and Lynn, you were, um, we were so excited to have you as part of our inaugural health and physical literacy summit in uh, February of 2020 in Birmingham. It was uh, kind of a, a great reunion for a lot of us, you know, and, and having had that experience, what role do you see the summit playing in providing professional development for, our health educators, physical educators, and and other individuals in our field.
2: First, I want to tell you, thank goodness you had that conference, because I keep looking back to that and thinking about how this year has just been a year, but I can, you know, we didn't have any of those opportunities this year, but we had that one, and I think one of the roles that that played, because I think we talked about that a lot, it felt like our, 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 um, District conferences. It felt that personal connection. People knew each other. You had opportunities to see and talk to one another, um, which, you know, with the nationals has is, is never been like that. But but now we haven't had the district ones, and so it felt like an all-time district conference. That for me is where, you know, I've already mentioned like that was so important in my development that you make those, those personal connections. And I know the personal connections are being made by Twitter and all that stuff. But for me, and yeah, I'm, I'm on the older edge of the profession mm-hmm. now, but for me, that person, you can't, you, you can't exchange that personal connection. It's just not the same. And uh, it was really very uplifting and meant a lot to go to that just because I could reconnect with so many people that, you know, there's a lot of people that don't go to the nationals anymore. So you don't see them. You might have seen them at district conferences, but they don't have them. So, you know, just just that that opportunity to, to make those connections at that level that's different. There's not those opportunities at the national level anymore. So there's, you know, you don't make those connections the same way. So I think it serves a really important role. Um, and it's not going to ever... Be the extent that it will totally replace the kind of district conferences that we had but it's still that more personal a little bit bigger than the state because you're bringing in people from all over the country um but uh but a really valuable um experience so i hope i hope that you'll be able to go back
1: and have it again 2022 we're we're doing it we're doing it so did you did you have a favorite moment or memory from the summit in february lens I didn't have one.
2: I I, I think it was just seeing people I hadn't seen in a long time, Um, being able to you know connect with you, with Karen, with Donna's, just having that chance to see and then I saw a lot of people from the eastern district that I hadn't seen in a while either so um, just having that connection I think um, you know so it would just there wasn't one. It was just that whole sense of feeling of, of you know, our community that that we have. So right.
0: And you know, I think you hit on something really important. Uh, mm-hmm. That, and I don't really think it's about being in a, a generational thing. There's something about our profession. We do we do so much. Can I set up where where we like to be face to face? We like to be active. <clears throat> we like to hang together. So I know over. Your, your career you've had a chance to see some amazing conferences and workshops but I, I'm interested there has to be we, we always try to ask what are some some favor a favorite memory of something that's happened in the past and almost always it's usually in our case something that happened after hours or something that you know something that's funny it's uh, and those are those are that to me is the bonding piece is that we we're family. I mean, we're, we we get to know people other than just walking in a room, hearing a a session, which is very important, but it's the connections that I can't get in social media. I mean, I know social media does it for some, but I still need space. I I need the face-to-face, but can you give us one special memory of anything that you've, any conference you've ever attended, just something, some special moment that you remember
1: that you want to share with people? That you can share on the air. Remember, yeah. we, we have a huge audience that we need to and keep in mind. She, went, on. And no, she, went, she
0: started at 17, and then she went to 22. So right now, during this show, we are growing, and probably there's already up to 30. So be well, cautious yeah, right. exactly. that you don't want yeah. these 30 people to know whatever it is.
2: You know, I, I can't. I honestly can't. I, I was thinking about this, and I, I, I just... I just think about it's sort of this, this montage of stuff that comes on. Like I remember, um, you know, there were these things that Eastern district uh, traditional things that we used to do back in the day, we used to have a, a taste of the States, but it was when you couldn't bring in food to a, you know, you can't bring in food. So they would do it in their, in our rooms. So we'd give a list of rooms. And then every state would have a room their you know, whatever room that they were in. And they either push the bed aside or put something over the bed and have all the food on the bed. And you go from room to room and taste food from crabs in Maryland to, oh, you know, wow. whatever food you have. Um, sugar on snow in Vermont, which is ice cream and maple syrup. And, um, Ooh. Whatever, well, actually, Ooh. real sugar on snow is snow and maple syrup, but you know, you have to make do with what you have. And uh, we don't have snow. <laughs> yeah. Well, then that's we, we syrup. syrup. <laughs> sure. We <Okay>. love syrup. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those are those memories. And then eventually it got more fancy, and we were able to get a room and bring in food and did all these fancy things. But I think those, just those initial kind of pop up things yep. that we had, and, you know, some traditions of, you know and like you said after hour stuff that that was a traditional thing within those things that just brought people together um awesome. and in a different light and uh you know just memories of that so we're social awesome. we're social yeah we, we need each
1: other we do yeah, we do
2: Definitely. all
1: right Lynn. so now we're moving to our rapid fire fun personal questions are you ready we can try all right, this is where, buddy, this is where the magic happens, where we always learn something we didn't know. Correct. Okay, Lynn, when you, were, when you were a little, little kid, you've already answered this, but I'm wondering if there was ever a point as a little kid when you wanted to be something when you grew up that was not a teacher.
2: That's a long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> I do okay. have an answer for you. When I was a really little kid, I wanted to ride on the back of a garbage truck. I thought that was really <gasps> You know, that would be, yeah. the back, I thought yes. that was really cool.
0: That's, so that's, that's a right. great answer.
2: <laughs> that was a
0: good buddy, answer. That, okay.
1: Buddy, that might win this question.
0: I, I think <laughs> it might yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. All right. I've got another rapid fire. If you could live anywhere else, where would
2: it be? Vermont. Okay. All right. Maybe, no surprise. maybe my third choice, California. That's probably my but I'm a, I'm a Northern, even though I'm from, you know, like uh, Irene always says, you are no Jersey girl. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I love Vermont. Good. I really do. All right, and it's interesting because it's the... right
1: next to, but it's very different. Yes. Mm. All right, Lynn, what is the best advice you received from your mom or dad? My mom and dad were all about commitment.
2: If you make a commitment, you you do it, you fulfill it, and you do it with honest and honesty and integrity. That was their thing. And um, I kind of hope that I live my life like that. If I commit to something, that's... And I talk to my students about that, because that's the hardest thing with kids. They commit to something, but if something better comes along, then it's I, I'm going to do the something better. But sometimes you have to make tough choices. So that, I think, is probably the the message my parents gave me. Good. Awesome.
0: All right. Well, you showed us that you have been shoveling snow today. So that could be one of the things that you're doing to manage the craziness of COVID. But I'm interested, this has been a, this has been a kind of an unusual time. What have you done personally to help yourself manage all of this nuts that's been going on?
2: Try to stay positive. Number one. Um, Staying connected. You know, one of the things kind of a silver lining to this whole thing is I have gotten connected with folks that I haven't talked to in years um, via Zoom. Haven't seen each other in years. As a matter of fact, uh, a couple weeks ago, I reconnected with a friend of mine, really good friend of mine from junior high. She went to school. We were best friends for two years. Then she moved back to Rhode Island. And we've stayed connected over the years, but Um, somehow we reconnected and we zoomed uh, about two weeks ago, which probably never would have happened if it hadn't been for COVID, uh, talked to a really good friend of mine who teaches down at uh, JMU, who I taught with at Vermont for a year, uh, for a couple years. And, uh, we just reconnected the other day. And then, um, we were supposed to go back to Holland, the, um, the group that went to Holland when I was in college, about five years ago, we went to Holland for uh, a week and we were supposed to go back again last summer but in you know obviously we didn't and then so we've been zooming every two weeks Um, so having those connections obviously trying to stay active best that I can although that's the part that I'm not doing as well as I had hoped to Um, I've I've had to work a lot Um, I'm on a lot of committees I'm I'm faculty speaker at the university which was a really good time to choose to do that role (laughs) so i'm on all these committees so um i'm i'm staying busy in ways that sometimes i wish i wasn't but um i think staying positive and and um just kind of looking forward to the future and trying to make plans for the future and then staying connected with people which i think is is critical i i went into work just about every day i went into the into the office because i felt that made some normalcy even though it was like a you know, it was deserted, but, it, it, you know, trying to maintain some normalcy in this, but. Uh.
0: I think that's perfect. And I think the biggest thing is trying to find silver lining in this very darkness and just really trying to find light. And I think that you've done that with your attitude and doing different things. So I, I appreciate that because honestly, there's some things I know that I don't want to go back to normal, whatever the normal would be when we come back after this, This because I think we found some new things that are real positive. So I know that there's some people that have had some very different, uh, different roads that they've had to travel that are very hard to stay positive, but I'm glad that your road has been good. So thank you for sharing. Well, there's that.
2: been bumps. Don't
0: let, don't. No, no, down. no. I, I get it, That's but I appreciate your positivity.
1: <laughs> all right, Lynn, is there anything that you want to share with us that we didn't ask you that, that maybe our listeners would like to know about Lynn Johnson?
2: No, I think you pretty much
1: covered it all. <laughs> 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 Learn more about me than they care too. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. All right. Well, listen, we are now at that point. It's one of our favorite times in the show. Uh, We have a fun game that we like to play with our friends and it's called two truths and a lie. And uh, Lynn, you'll appreciate this. We play this game in honor of our friend Cam Kirst. And I know that you know, Cam, Uh, the only way we have learned as much about Cam as we know today is through this game. So we, we like to continue the tradition with our friends. So, You're going to tell us three statements about you. Two of those statements will be true, and one of those will be a lie. And Ginger, our amazing executive producer, is going to be our guesser. So are you ready, Lynn?
2: I am, but I got to tell you, these are probably pretty boring compared to
1: other ones, but this is what I got. Well, hey, listen, if you ever get a chance, you should do this with Cam. It will not bore you. Ginger, (laughs) are you ready? I can imagine. (laughs) All right, here we
2: go. All right, go ahead, Lynn. All right, I was the first girl ever to receive a booster club athletic scholarship from my high school. Number one. Number two, I am a member of my high school's athletic Hall of Fame. Number three, I am. I was the second full time softball coach ever hired in the history of Springfield College.
0: Oh, ginger. Listen, I'm all about this is this is this sounds tough, but I just want you to know you can do it, Ginger. you <laughs> right. can do it. Oh, goodness. Um, mm, I'm going to go with statement two and three are true, and your first statement is false.
1: Remind us of that first statement, Lynn.
2: That the first girl statement?
1: Yes. That is true. Ah. Whoa! Whoa! You got right. me, then. I, 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 I have a guess, so I'm, I'm i I want to know if I'm right. I, just, I think it's number three. What was number three? The coach. second ever softball coach at that. Um, that is true. Oh. <laughs> you stumped Where Way to go, Ben!
0: I picked number two. <laughs> <All three.
1: laughs> I'm way get, to commit, buddy. Never been <laughs> any be <laughs> <laughs> well, in any Hall of Fame I won. But I think that uh, your, your Hall of Fame, now that might not be true today, right? No, but obviously no when this goes live and your high school realizes who you are and the show that you've been on and who you've been interviewed by, <laughs> I, I have no doubt that Hall of Fame invite is going to be in the mail immediately. Immediately.
2: I'm sure it will be. <laughs>
1: But
0: here's what wow. we know about you that this doesn't mean if you go back to the very beginning of this call or this podcast, you will, you'll remember all the honor awards, all the pre- pre- uh, presidential medallions, you have more than done your, your worth. And plus you're our friend. What a award is that?
1: That is. Well, who so needs anything oh else? Okay. That's the highest award. That actually. is it. I mean, right? Yeah,
2: yeah. It, is. it is. And I do have to say, you know, the awards really don't matter. It's this, it's the friendships, and it's the, all the other things that are the important piece
1: in life. So, absolutely. absolutely. Well, then, thank you for being with us today, and uh, that brings us to the close of another exciting episode of Scaling the Summit Radio. Gold, buddy. I will see you and our 22 listeners in about a week. Take right. care, everybody. Just a reminder
0: for our listeners, while we will not have the 2021 Health and Physical Literacy Summit, we will be back in person in Birmingham 2022. Stay tuned for conference dates and details. We can't wait to see you in person. Also, join us next week for Scaling the Summit Radio Gold as we talk with Cindy O'Brien physical education teacher in the great state of Alabama. She talks with us about social emotional learning and the importance in creating relationships with students and parents. See you soon.